Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. It's good to be with you this morning, River Valley. If we've not met, um, I hope that we will soon. But my name's Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to to share with you this morning a word that um, I definitely feel like the Lord has given me. I'll tell you that I got to this place. We're going to be in John 5 here, so you can start turning there in your Bibles if you like to. But um, really, this has been a journey with me and the Lord personally is, uh, you know, for a a while now, I feel like God was just stirring in me when uh, in my daily time with Him, uh, looking at His life and ministry while here on earth. And so I started to go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just start to study each of them kind of bit by bit, piece by piece. And this was one that um, I definitely came across was John 5 and this work that Jesus did in a, in a man's life. And um, it was one of those things, too, that God just began to download and give me more and more. In fact, in fact <clears throat> excuse me, there was one night, it was like two in the morning, and I was awake, and my mind was just kind of running, and he started to talk to me about this. And I was a little annoyed, to be honest, that it was two in the morning, and everybody was sleeping peacefully, and I was like, couldn't stop thinking. But it was clear what happened pretty quickly as God just started talking to me about this, this passage that I'd been studying. And before I knew it, it was about two hours had passed, and I had pages and pages of stuff that I felt like the Lord was just giving me and speaking to me and, and, and challenging me with. And it was just this beautiful thing that maybe you've had happen a time or two or 15 in your life, and you leave it kind of, you start a little bit annoyed that you're up in the middle of the night, and then you leave going, I'll, I'll do that anytime you want to, Jesus. It was so rich and sweet of the Lord. And so he began doing a work with me in, in this passage, and then as I started praying about what to share this morning with this opportunity to share with you, it was very clear from him that that wasn't just something for me. He wanted me to share it with you, and so I'm excited to do that and trusting him in that this morning. So we're going to be in John 5. Uh, Verse 1, I'll start out, and we'll read this together here. You can see it on the screen or look in your word. It says, after this, a Jewish festival took place. And so, side little note here, Cody teaches this all the time about our daily Bible study and reading. As anytime you see something like after this, it's important to know, like, what he's talking about. And so, I don't have time to unpack that fully um, with you, but you can just go to the, the verses right before this and see something Jesus was doing in the area of Galilee and some other ministry and work and miracles that he was doing. But um, what we we're supposed to see there is that after this, Jesus went from Galilee, kind of more north, south to Jerusalem. It's probably about a 50-mile stretch. And so, um, you can imagine walking from Galilee to Jerusalem, perhaps. And so, when he gets to Jerusalem, verse 2, It says, by the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there's a pool. It's called Bethesda. It's an Aramaic word, has five colonnades, and within it lay a large number of folks who are disabled, blind, lame, paralyzed, struggling with disease. Some of your translations may say that um, there's invalids in this place, and uh, it's a multitude of them. So you can kind of get the picture of of this area. This is a real place. Let me give you a little context about Bethsaida, um, Bethesda, excuse me, um, the pool there. It, it's a place you could go to today in Jerusalem. It's in the Muslim quarter there. They don't call it the Sheep Gate anymore. They call it the Lion's Gate or St. Stephen's Gate near the Church of St. Anne. But 
they've excavated this and there's some ruins there, but um, it's a very real story. It's a very real place, a very real thing that Jesus did in, in this place. And so um, what the pool of Bethesda is, um, is um, it's a place that the name Bethesda is Aramaic and it stands for the house of mercy or the house of grace. But what we see happen in the culture there in Jerusalem is because this became a place that uh, folks who were struggling with disease and illness and paralyzation, all these different things you see listed here, this was a place that they congregated. Now, this isn't hard for us to imagine. I mean, you can think about places maybe in Austin where you drive, and you'll see a congregation of folks who are struggling with homelessness under a bridge. And so um, there, there's reasons that they're together here. One, the five colonnades is an important detail that the Scripture gives us because it would provide shade. It would provide uh, a bit of comfort from the weather. But they also congregated in this place, too, because um, the word invalid there is important. These are folks that have been cast out from society because of their condition, their circumstances. They weren't even welcome in the temple. They would come to a place like this, church, and they'd be told, no, 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 you're not welcome here. And so they would naturally kind of congregate together in a place like Bethesda, and they would do life together in this community. But a part of that uh, also is what's important about Bethesda is there's a legend there that we see the Scripture talk about here in just a moment as we continue on. But history tells us that the pools at Bethesda every now and then would start to stir up and bubble. And what the legend was was that there was an angel of the Lord that would come down periodically and the waters would bubble. And, and all these folks who were struggling with illness and disease and all these different circumstances, if they could be the first one in the pool, they could get healed. And so there's a reason that they would gather here hoping, their hope is if I can just be the first one in, this situation will get fixed. So we'll continue on, verse 5. We see there was a man here amongst the multitudes, and he was been disabled for 38 years. Now, we don't know if he's um, 38 years old and been disabled his whole life, or more than likely what history tells us is that at some point he had an accident, and now his legs no longer physically work, and he's been in this place a long time. He's been disabled for 38 years, and it, it goes on to tell us in verse 6, it says, Jesus sees him lying there. So get the picture. This is a place that we teach our kids. You don't go down there. It's a dangerous place. You can kind of imagine, I'm not trying to be rude or, or, uh, or wrong in any way, but think about the smell. Think about what it would feel like in this place. This is a place the locals avoided, but Jesus comes right into Jerusalem and goes right in the middle of everybody there. Very real people, very real situation, very real concerns, very real needs. And there was a man there amongst the multitude, and so Jesus comes in, there's tons of them, and he goes right up to this one. And he says this, uh, again in verse 6, saw him lying there, and Jesus knew without being told he had been there a long time, and he says to this man, do you want to get well? And the man immediately responds to him, sir, this disabled man answered, there's nobody that can put me in the water. Uh, when it starts to stir up, I'm trying to get there. I'm crawling, but somebody always beats me there, and nobody's able to or willing to put me in there. And then you see Jesus respond to him, get up. Verse 8, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man got well. Something he hasn't felt in his legs for 38 years starts to feel different, and he gets up. And he walks, picks up his mat, and goes. Now we see something happen here at the end of verse 9 that this day was the Sabbath. And so this is important for us to know because we see Jesus do this periodically on the Sabbath. 
What had happened was they knew law. They knew Old Testament scripture that, that God gave us a gift and said, honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. This is a time that uh, you don't work. You rest. And I want to rejuvenate you. I want to speak to you. It's why we do church similarly the way we do is it's a time to come in here, be together, rest. But what the religious folks, the Pharisees, the super religious had done over time, and I, I don't have time to unpack this fully with you today, is they were so serious about we don't want to break the Sabbath. We want to keep it holy that they started to make a whole bunch of other rules for themselves as, well, what does it mean to work? What does it mean to work? What's going to be a violation of that or what's okay? And so they made a list of a bunch of different rules of what's considered work, what's not. And so you see this happen here. This day was the Sabbath, verse 10. And so the Jews, specifically the the super churchy, you know, that's not how we do church here kind of people, um, come in and they say to this man, now get this, this dude hadn't walked in 38 years. They don't go, bro, you're walking. No, they do this. They say, hey, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. And the man says in verse 11, well, it's the man who made me well. He said, pick up your mat and walk. And guess what? If your legs hadn't worked for 38 years and you're at the pool of Bethesda and this is your only hope for healing and that happens, you're probably going to get up and walk, right? Verse 12, again, they don't go, well, this is amazing. Look what's happened. Look at this miracle that takes place. No, verse 12, it says, okay, who's this guy that told you you could pick up your mat and walk? But the man who uh, was helped and healed, he didn't know who it was. He didn't know it was Jesus. He didn't know this was the Messiah. He didn't know this is the guy that we've been waiting on for years and decades and hundreds of years hoping for, for he was going to come and save us. He didn't know it was Jesus. It's just some rando dude that walked into him. And he didn't know who it was because Jesus had slipped away from the crowd that was there. And what we see in verse 14 start to happen here is after this, and we don't know if it was immediately after, just sometime quickly after, Jesus goes to the temple and sees this man that he healed in there. And I love this little side note here as I was studying this scripture. Think about this man, and according to society, according to the people that talked in the local gossip, he's an invalid. You're not welcome in the temple. That's not how we do church here. This was what his life has been for 38 years. But sometime very quickly after he was healed, what's one of the first things he does? He goes to the temple. He goes to church to give praise and glory to God. But it says Jesus finds him there and walks up to him. And you can imagine this guy. Hey, you're, you're that guy that healed me. And Jesus says to him, look, see, you're well. Now this. Don't sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. And as I studied this, what this is talking about right here is Jesus is, is calling him to the place that we have to start together this morning. Jesus is saying, hey, look, isn't this amazing? You're walking. You haven't done this in 38 years. Isn't this incredible? Guess what? What you really, really need, what your soul needs, what your life needs is repentance. Don't sin anymore. If you follow me, there's healing that's far greater than the work I just did in your legs. There's a real heaven, there's a real hell like Cody talked to us about last week. Jesus wants to offer you and I something that he offered this man today. There's something far greater than the healing you just received if you follow Jesus. And not just for eternity in heaven, but right now. He offers us, Jesus said, abundant life right now in him if you'll follow him with every single bit of your life and trust him with every detail of your life. He's also telling this man there's something far worse that's waiting for you if you remain in sin and don't follow me. 
There's a very real place in eternal separation from Jesus, eternal separation from holiness. It far outweighs any difficult thing that you've been through, any tragedy, any trauma, any, any issue, any circumstance. And I'm not belittling those things. They are very real. Jesus cares about them. He took care of that thing with this man, but he wants to point him to something greater, salvation in him, what it means to really walk with him, to follow him. And that's the place that we have to start here today. The rest of it, frankly, doesn't matter if you don't get that part right first. And so if you have not given your life to Jesus, if you've not surrendered to him and repented of sin and taken that step, we want you to be able to do that today. We want to help you with that if you don't know how to do that. One of our pastors, one of our church people, our members, people who serve here would love to visit with you about that and what that next step is and what you witnessed today, folks that have just done that and are now taking an obedient step towards baptism. That's the place to start. But what happened with me as I wrestled through this scripture with the Lord in the middle of the night is he really kind of laid out three questions for me to work through. And again, I feel like he is offering that for us all to go through here together today. So I'm going to pose three questions for us to process with the Lord, to pray with the Lord and ask him. One thing we're going to do is after each question, part of our prayer time today is I'm going to be quiet for a moment and just let you ask the Lord that question. I want you to write down what he tells you. He's going to talk to you. He's talking already. He's going to speak to you. He's going to give you something and write it down. Trust him with it. And so we're going to go through that process again. It might be a little awkward silence. It's cool. We're just going to embrace. It's just you and the Lord in that time to just ask this question. So the first question is this. What is your pool of Bethesda? What is your pool of Bethesda? Here's what I mean by that. If you look at this story through the lens of the man who is healed, he's at this place because he's hoping, it's his only hope, he feels like at this point, that the waters will stir up and somehow if I can be the first one in that water, I could be healed. So maybe some questions for you to consider is, what are you putting your hope in? This is the question that I feel like God had me walk through is, what am I putting my hope in that isn't Jesus right now? What am I hoping the world can give me and do for me and the things I'm leaning on and the vices I'm going to just for relief and just for, um, just to take a break mentally and physically from this thing I'm going through? What am I putting my hope in that isn't Jesus? Those are things for us to wrestle with. One thing I love about the book of John is as you go through this, um, you see Jesus talk to people all throughout the book of John. And he talks about his identity and who we are in him and what he wants to give us. And don't lose the little nugget here that every time Jesus says this, he says, I am something and describes it. It points back to Old Testament scripture when you see people like Moses have these encounters and and God says, you know, I am. That is my name, Yahweh, I am. And so all throughout the book of John, you see things like this in John 6, 35, where Jesus talks about himself and says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will actually never be hungry again. We all get hungry and thirsty every day, multiple times a day. We need that for our physical bodies to have sustenance and energy and all these things. But Jesus is saying your soul hungers for something greater, and I'm the only one who can truly make you not thirsty and hungry again. I'm the bread of life. You see it in John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever walks with me, like he's calling this man to pick up his mat and walk, will no longer be in darkness, what will be in the light. We see John 10, 11 through 18, he says, I am the good shepherd. And this makes a lot of sense to the people of this day. 
being a shepherd, having sheep is very normal. And so when he says things like, I'm the good shepherd, you are my sheep, my sheep know my voice, they know me, I know them, they follow me, and what that means, and the safety and comfort and provision that's going to come when I am the good shepherd that he offers to me and you. He says in John 4, I am the living water. It's this episode we see with the Samaritan woman at the well. The fact that he's even engaging in conversation with a Samaritan is like culture, no, no. That's the enemy. We don't talk to them. We don't go there. And Jesus goes to the well and asks her for a drink. So the fact that he's even talking to her, he knows her life situation without her even telling him. But he wants her to talk about it. And he tells her that, I'm the living water you need. You're going to get thirsty again, but I'm the living water. And we see this same thing kind of play out here at the pools of Bethesda as we ask the question, what is your pool? See, this man is at the pool, laying on a mat. Some of your translations say a bed just for a little bit of comfort. And his only hope is that water. If I can just get to the water. And you see Jesus walk up to him, not in a judgment way, not standing over him, wagging his finger like sometimes we think God might be doing, but it's not true, going, what are you doing here? Pushing shame and guilt on us. That's not the Lord. That's the enemy doing that to you. Jesus comes in in a way, something like this, and leans up to the guy and goes, you've been here a really long time, haven't you? Do you want to get well? You want to get well? And the man's first response is, I can't even get to the water. What do you mean, do I want to get well? I've been here 38 years. What do you think? You kidding me? What a stupid question. Do I want to get well? Nobody can help me in the water. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's not what I asked. Do you want to get well? See, you're looking at the water. I'm the living water. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Don't worry about the pool. Worry about me. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? And that's the question for us today. That's the question I get chills thinking about God asking me in the middle of the night. What's been my pool, Bethesda? What's my pool right now that I'm leaning on, hoping God can just fix this circle? And my life's going to be good if you can just take care of this relationship or this thing or that. What's my pool? What am I leaning on for hope that isn't Jesus? And so that's my question for us today. And we're going to take a minute. You probably already know the answer if I've been talking here. But we're going to listen to the Lord. A big part of praying is not just me spilling my guts to the Lord. That's an important part of it. But another big part of it is listening. He wants to speak. He wants to be clear with you. It's not a speaking problem. It's usually a hearing problem on my part. So let's take a moment to listen and hear. What's your pool of Bethesda? Write it down. Don't lose it. Hold on to that because he's going to continue to speak to you as we even leave here. So the first question, what is your pool of Bethesda? The second question is this, what is your mat? I feel like that's a question the Lord asked me in the middle of the night. What, what's your mat been? And as I started to pray about it, it was a little confusing for me at first, but I felt like the Lord began to speak and show me that it's not even a bad thing. It's not this bad thing I need to surrender to the Lord or give up. It was this, this mat for him, this bed for him has been a place of comfort and been a help. 
It hasn't fully helped, but it's at least made the situation a little better in this moment. And so as I prayed about that with the Lord, I'll be vulnerable with you about what he spoke to me. Yours may be very different, but for me, it was really a couple things that he highlighted for me. When he says, what is your mat? I started to think about my parents. I started to think about growing up as a child in their home. And, and frankly, I'm, I'm thankful for my family and what they have given to me. It wasn't perfect by any means. And I know some of us have not had good situations and I'm sorry for that. I really am. That's uh, not what God intended in those difficult, traumatic situations. But he began to highlight to me just the thankfulness, even though it wasn't perfect for my family because I never worried about food or clothes or frankly, the biggest worry I had as a child, like my son's age right now, is am I gonna play with Superman today or Batman today? It was great. I didn't have to worry about food, a job, clothes, all these things, but it was a season. That season changed at one point where I was supposed to leave the house. I was supposed to move far away. There was things like college and getting a job and learning independence and finances and, and working through all those things and then eventually having a family and that. I wasn't supposed to stay there forever. There's a reason I'm not still in my parents' house and my mom cooking for me and doing all my laundry and I'm not paying for anything like that. That season has shifted of what it means to walk with the Lord and God calling me to that, but it's hard. We all have been in those situations where you, it, life starts to get really rough. And my tendency is like, I just want to go home. I want to go to that place of comfort. I want to go to that place that once was, it seemed. But God's saying, I'm, you're on a new season with me. Pick up your mat and walk. And I, I love getting to go see my family again in those times, but it's not the same. We don't see each other that much. When I go there, it doesn't feel like home. It's not supposed to. It's different now. I'm in a new season with the Lord. I think about also the second thing he brought up to my mind and heart was moving from Abilene to here about three years ago. It was a calling the Lord gave me and my family, like, it's time to go. Those were the words we heard from the Lord. We didn't know where. We didn't know what. We didn't know how. We're right in the middle of COVID. I didn't know what, but it, it shaped itself to get to be here with you in Bastrop. I didn't know where Bastrop was, frankly. And so it was just this interesting time. But getting to see that kind of flesh out now with you as a church family and friends that I have in this room. But at that season and time, we were, we were frankly leaving not a bad situation, a great church home, great church friends, a community group that has carried us, if you will, through a lot of hard seasons. They carried me and my wife through a, a lot of years of infertility, asking the God, what are you doing here? Not understanding, praying with us, getting to be part of the miracles that we got to be a part of there. We had church family carrying us through a season where I was dealing with some seizures that I found out were kind of epileptic uh, issues with my brain, and um, I had a pretty significant car wreck, and they literally carried us through that season when we were wrestling with doctors and what medicine and what's this mean, what is it, what is it not, and all this time, and literally driving me to and from work because I can't drive for six months with some of this stuff. They carried us through that, but the season shifted when God said, it's time to pick up your mat and walk. We love those friends still. We want to see them when we can, but the relationship's different. And that's hard because we love those people, but the relationship's different now. I need to be here with you. I'm excited to be here with you. My whole family is. But that's hard when things get difficult because you start to think, like, I need to go back to the mat. I need to go back to Abilene. I need to go back to these friends. I need to go back to these family. And all the season's different now. What does it look like to fully trust God and walk with him right now and what he's calling us to. That may not be your same answer. That's what he gave to me just as an encouragement for this season 
and where we are and the work he's doing and that we get to be a part of that we're honored. So my question there for you to ask the Lord, what is my mat? And he's going to highlight it to you. It can be a really good thing like mine are, but the season's different. It's time to get up and walk. So listen to the Lord, write it down. I'll give you a moment. What is your mat? We started at the end of the passage where we have to start with salvation. We have to start with repentance. We have to start with Jesus saying there's something greater than even this physical healing. There's something worse than not being physically healed the rest of your life. We start with the place of salvation. Then we moved to what's your pool of Bethesda? What's your mat? And we end with where he started in the story, frankly, is that moment he asked the question to the man, do you want to get well? That's our next question and our last question to process today. This one's different than the other ones. This isn't you asking Jesus, I believe, what is my pool, what is my mat? It's this time he's asking you the question, do you want to get well? And frankly, the answer to write down is yes or no. And you be honest about that with the Lord. And here's, here's where I felt like he went with this because I kind of alluded to it already when I first read this passage and I got to that point. It felt gross to me that Jesus would ask this question of this man. Maybe you picked that up too. It's like, you walk in here, you see this man, the first thing you ask is you want to get well. How, do you, how would you think he feels? Of course I want to get well. Why do you think I'm here? And we wrestle with God through these things in life. And here's what I believe in studying this and asking the Lord what he's really asking there. When he says, do you want to get well? is we all like the idea, I'll put it on me, I like the idea of healing. I like the idea of getting well. I don't always like the process that God wants to use and the timing he wants to use to do that. I believe very much so right now that he wants to do maybe even a physical healing, but he wants to do a healing and getting you well in some part. He's stirring your heart. He's stirring your soul. He's calling you to a place of repentance and surrendering these things that we've already talked about with the pool and the mat what it means for this man to walk and to learn to walk again, if you will. God did something amazing in this man's life in this moment, but he's leaving this place choosing to follow Jesus. Something he hasn't done for 38 years is walk, work, all these different things that he's going to have to do now with his life. And he doesn't even know exactly what that means, what that's going to look like, but that's part of trusting and having faith in Jesus and what it means to walk again. A lot of us like the idea of God moving in a moment right here. He's going to show up in this room and do something that I've been praying for, but we don't like the idea of what it means to walk that out when you leave these doors. Let me give you a couple examples of things I've lived <clears throat> and things I encourage people with. It's not uncommon for me to talk to church family and people in the community that come in, in a time of difficulty of saying, we need help with our marriage a very real thing Jesus sees. And, and very often, some of the encouragement I give is we've got resources and discipleship resources and things here to help in the healing process, help with what it looks like to walk this out. And so I'll talk with these folks because this is something that 
we've gone through as a couple is to go, okay, I want you to do four things right now, and then we'll go from there. Number one, come to church every week for 14 weeks. Don't miss a week. You need this community. You need worship to Jesus. You need to hear from him, not your bozo friend that's saying, take off, leave, talking about sin. Come every week. Don't miss a week. Go to re-engage for 14 weeks. Don't miss a week. That's one of our marriage uh, groups that's incredible here. Go to re-engage. Don't miss a week. Do the homework. There's a little bit of homework every week that you're supposed to come with prepared. It's not that much, frankly. Do that. Come prepared. And then the fourth one I give to just the guys, say, don't make her drag your butt through all this. You lead. This is what it means to be a spiritual leader. You come every week. You say, when the kids are acting a fool on Sunday morning because it's going to happen, because the enemy doesn't want your marriage to get healed, you say, we're going. I know they're crying. They're crazy. This is, we're going. Every week when it's time to do homework, don't make her push you through the homework. You say, I already did it. How's yours going? You come prepared. You be vulnerable on Thursdays with re-engage. That's it. That's all you need to do for 14 weeks. And let's see how God moves. You'd be surprised, maybe not, how many people won't do it. We have a ton that do. And there's testimonies all over this room of how he's healed and how he's moved. He moved in a moment to take this step, and he continued to move every week as they showed up and they got vulnerable and they worked hard and they do what uh, Reengage encourages us to do, which is I'm going to start with me. I'm not going to worry about my wife, Ashley. I'm not just going to pray for God to fix her. Like, I'm working on, God, what do you want to do with me? And I'll lead this. That's the place we start. But you'd be surprised how many people show up and then don't come back week two, week three. Do you really want to get well? Cody talked about being generous in our giving and just what it is to live a life of faithfulness where God tells us to give first and to trust him when it doesn't all make sense. Do you really want to get well? A lot of us are under the bondage and burden of finances. It's like a prison. It just hangs over your head all the time we've been there. But we've got some resources like Financial Peace University for you to come to. And that's the same encouragement. Come to this. Do the work. Do it hard. God's doing a work in you. Let's do this for nine weeks and then let's go. My wife and I have done it three times because he kept giving us more and more of what it meant to like have a budget, do the hard work with that, maintain it, mess up sometimes, get back on track, do the debt snowball. And these are things we're going to help you with and process with. But a lot of us, we like the idea of no longer being under the bondage of finances, but do you really want to get well? This is what I've had to wrestle with and some new things I'm wrestling with right now. And so the question is there for you. Whatever he's speaking to, whatever has been this, this thing that you know he's talking to you about right now, are you willing to take the step? I'm not, I'm not even trying to give you, and I don't think he wants to, the full picture at this point. Do you trust me for this step? Let's take this step, and then we'll take this step. And you trust him. He's going to heal. He's going to move. You're going to look up, and things you didn't even think were possible in your marriage, there's test. I'm looking all over the room. There's testimonies of this, and I can be testimony with me and my wife. Things you think are impossible, he makes possible. Things in your finances, things in your children, your prodigal child that's run, being an empty nester now, and I don't know what our relationship's supposed to look like because my identity's kind of, there's all sorts of things that you don't know the answer to, but he's got it. You don't need the pool. You don't need those waters. You need the living water. You can trust him for it. So the question there for you now, do you want to get well? You don't have to even know what that fully means. You're pretty much just saying, I'm going to trust you. I've tried it this way. How's that going? 
Do you want to get well? Ask the Lord, and you write honestly, yes or no. Do you want to get well? If you would, I want you to stand with me, and we'll, we'll finish this way. We're not going to finish on this big, high note, but this is the way we're supposed to finish, I feel like God's saying, is to leave this place still considering these questions with the Lord. He wants to do something amazing. He already is with you and for you. I'm going to pray over us here and give you um, a declaration from Scripture that we're going to end with, and we're going to go and just receive, continue to receive from the Lord today. So I just want to pray over you, God. I I pray for these questions that you have me going through. God, I pray for these questions that you have all of us going through, that I love how you're very specific and you're going to speak to us as a family, but also you're speaking to us individually about what is our mat? Do we really want to get well, God? I pray that we'd continue to wrestle with that for you. But the outcome would be, Father, that we would trust you. Like the song we sing so often, even when I can't feel it, even when I don't see it, I know you're moving and I trust you. I'm going to keep praying. I'm not going to give up praying. Maybe I've given up for a season praying for this miracle, this thing in our family that we need to see changed, but I'm going to start praying again. I'm going to start trusting you again. I pray for even some of these circumstances or physical ailments and things that you want to do a physical work, God, but it points our hearts toward there's something greater you even want to do than that. That's important. That's a big deal, and you care about it but you care about our lives and our hearts and our eternal life and our families and all the intricate details. We can trust you for it, Jesus. I declare over this family. Would you help us learn how that means to daily walk, to pick up our mat and go, I'm going to trust you today. I don't want to, frankly. I don't know how. I'm going to trust you. Show me, Jesus. Show me. We declare who you are as our bread, as our light, as our good shepherd, as our living water, Father. Declare that over us that we would trust you and follow you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to, just put your hands out in front of you. You don't have to do this. I like to just as a posture of receiving. I'm going to pray this one more scripture over you, and then we'll dismiss. This is something I like to do. Uh, We like to pray scripture. It's a great way to pray with the Lord. And so I'm going to pray this over you from Numbers 6 here. As we go, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. May he be gracious to you. Would the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his everlasting peace? It's in his name and only his name that we trust and we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.